Chapter forty five of Wives and Daughters by Elizabeth Gaskell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty five Confidences. All the rest of that day, Molly was depressed and not well. Having anything to conceal was so unusual, almost so unprecedented a circumstance with her, that it preyed upon her in every way. It was a nightmare that she could not shake off. She did so wish to forget it all, and yet, every little occurrence seemed to remind her of it the next morning's post brought several letters one from roger for cynthia and molly letterless herself looked at cynthia as she read it with wistful sadness it appeared to molly as though cynthia should have no satisfaction in these letters until she had told him what was her exact position with mr preston yet cynthia was colouring and dimpling up as she always did at any pretty words of praise or admiration or love but molly's thoughts and cynthia's reading were both interrupted by a triumphant little sound from mrs gibson as she pushed a letter she had just received to her husband with a there i must say i expected that then turning to cynthia she explained it is a letter from uncle kirkpatrick love so kind wishing you to go and stay with them and help them to cheer up helen poor helen i am afraid she is very far from well but we could not have had her here without disturbing dear papa in his consulting-room and though i could have relinquished my dressing-room he well so i said in my letter how you were grieved you above all of us because you were such a friend of helen's you know and how you longed to be of use as i am sure you do and so now they want you to go up directly for helen has quite set her heart upon it cynthia's eyes sparkled i shall like going said she all but leaving you molly she added in a lower tone as if suddenly smitten with some compunction can you be ready to go by the bang-up to-night said mr gibson for curiously enough after more than twenty years of quiet practice at hollingford i am summoned up to-day for the first time to a consultation in london to-morrow i'm afraid lady cumnor is worse my dear you don't say so poor dear lady what a shock it is to me i'm so glad i've had some breakfast i could not have eaten anything nay i i only say she is worse with her complaint being worse may be only a preliminary to being better don't take my words for more than their literal meaning how kind and reassuring dear papa always is about your gown cynthia oh they're all right mamma thank you i shall be quite ready by four o'clock molly will you come with me and help me to pack i wanted to speak to you dear said she as soon as they had gone upstairs it is such a relief to get away from a place haunted by that man but i'm afraid you thought i was glad to leave you and indeed i am not there was a little flavour of protesting too much about this but molly did not perceive it she only said indeed i did not i know from my own feelings how you must dislike meeting a man in public in a different manner from what you have done in private i shall try not to see mr preston again for a long long time i am sure but cynthia you haven't told me one word out of roger's letter please how is he has he quite gotten over his attack of fever yes quite he writes in very good spirits a great deal about birds and beasts as usual habits of natives and things of that kind you may read from there indicating a place in the letter to there if you can and i'll tell you what i'll trust you with it molly while i pack and that shows my sense of your honour not but what you might read it all only you'd find the love-making dull but make a little account of where he is and what he is doing date and that sort of thing and send it to his father molly took the letter down without a word and began to copy it at the writing-table 
often reading over what she was allowed to read, often pausing her cheek on her hand, her eyes on the letter, and letting her imagination rove to the writer, and all the scenes in which she had either seen him herself, or in which her fancy had painted him. She was startled from her meditations by Cynthia's sudden entrance into the drawing-room, looking the picture of glowing delight. "'No one here! What a blessing! Ah, Miss Muller, you are more eloquent than you believe yourself. Look here!' holding up a large, full envelope, and then quickly replacing it in her pocket, as if she were afraid of being seen. "'What's the matter, sweet one?' coming up and caressing Molly. "'Is it worrying itself over that letter? Why, don't you see these are my very own horrible letters, that I am going to burn directly, that Mr. Preston has had the grace to send me, thanks to you, little Molly. Kushla ma chérie, pulse of my heart, the letters that have been hanging over my head like somebody's sword for these two years!' "'Oh, I am so glad!' said Molly, rousing up a little. "'I never thought he would have sent them. He is better than I believed him. And now it is all over. I am so glad. You quite think he means to give up all claim over you by this, don't you, Cynthia?' "'He may claim, but I won't be claimed. And he has no proofs now. It is the most charming relief, and I owe it all to you, you precious little lady. Now there's only one thing more to be done, and if you would but do it for me—' Coaxing and caressing while she asked the question. "'Oh, Cynthia, don't ask me. I cannot do any more. You don't know how sick I go when I think of yesterday, and Mr. Sheepshank's look.' "'It is only a very little thing. I won't burden your conscience with telling you how I got my letters, but it is not through a person I can trust with money, and I must force him to take back his twenty-three pounds odd shillings. I have put it together at the rate of five per cent, and it's sealed up. Oh, Molly, I should go off with such a light heart if you would only try to get it safely to him. It's the last thing—' There would be no immediate hurry, you know. You might meet him by chance in a shop, in the street, even at a party. And if you only had it with you in your pocket, there would be nothing so easy. Molly was silent. Papa would give it to him. There would be no harm in that. I would tell him he must ask no questions as to what it was. Very well, said Cynthia. Have it your own way. I think my way is the best. For if any of this affair comes out—but you've done a great deal for me already, and I won't blame you now for declining to do any more. "'I do so dislike having these underhand dealings with him,' pleaded Molly. "'Underhand? Just simply giving him a letter from me? If I left a note for Miss Browning, should you dislike giving it to her?' "'You know that's very different. I could do it openly.' "'And yet there might be writing in that, and there wouldn't be a line with the money. It would only be the winding up, the honourable, honest winding up of an affair which has worried me for years. But do as you like.' "'Give it me,' said Molly. "'I will try.' "'There's a darling.' you can but try, and if you can't give it to him in private, without getting yourself into a scrape, why keep it till I come back again. He shall have it then, whether he will or no." Molly looked forward to her two days alone with Mrs. Gibson, with very different anticipations from those with which she had welcomed the similar intercourse with her father. In the first place there was no accompanying the travellers to the inn from which the coach started. Leave-taking in the market-place was quite out of the bounds of Mrs. Gibson's sense of propriety besides this it was a gloomy rainy evening and candles had to be brought in at an unusually early hour there would be no break for six hours no music no reading but the two ladies would sit at their worsted work pattering away at small talk with not even the usual break of dinner for to suit the requirements of those who were leaving they had already dined early but mrs gibson really meant to make molly happy and tried to be an agreeable companion only Molly was not well, and was uneasy about many apprehended cares and troubles, and at such hours of indisposition as she was then passing through, apprehensions take the shape of certainties lying await in our paths. 
Molly would have given a good deal to have shaken off all these feelings, unusual enough to her, but the very house and furniture and rain-blurred outer landscape seemed steeped with unpleasant associations, most of them dating from the last few days. "'You and I must go in the next journey, I think, my dear,' said Mrs. Gibson, almost chiming in with Molly's wish that she could get away from Hollingford into some new air and life for a week or two. "'We have been stay-at-homes for a long time, and variety of scene is so desirable for the young. But I think the travellers will be wishing themselves at home by this nice bright fireside. There's no place like home, as the poet says. Mid pleasures and palaces, although I may roam, it begins. And it's both very pretty and very true. It's a great blessing to have such a dear little home as this, is not it, Molly?' "'Yes.' said Molly, rather drearily, having something of the toujours perdre feeling at the moment. If she could but have gone away with her father just for two days, how pleasant it would have been. To be sure, love, it would be very nice for you and me to go a little journey all by ourselves, you and I, no one else. If it were not such miserable weather, we would have gone off on a little impromptu tour. I've been longing for something of the kind for some weeks, but we live such a restricted kind of life here. I declare, sometimes I get quite sick of the very sight of the chairs and tables that I know so well, and one misses the others, too. It seems so flat and deserted without them. Yes, we are very forlorn to-night, but I think it's partly owing to the weather. Nonsense, dear. I can't have you giving in to the silly fancy of being affected by the weather. Poor dear Mr. Kirkpatrick used to say, a cheerful heart makes its own sunshine. He would say it to me in his pretty way whenever I was a little low, for I am a complete barometer. You may really judge of the state of the weather by my spirits. I have always been such a sensitive creature. It is well for Cynthia that she does not inherit it. I don't think her easily affected in any way, do you? Molly thought for a minute or two, and then replied, No, she certainly is not easily affected. Not deeply affected, perhaps, I should say. Many girls, for instance, would have been touched by the admiration she excited— I may say the attentions she received when she was at her uncle's last summer. At Mr. Kirkpatrick's? Yes. There was Mr. Henderson, that young lawyer. That's to say he is studying law, but he has a good private fortune and is likely to have more. So he can only be what I call playing at law. Mr. Henderson was over head and ears in love with her. It is not my fancy, although I grant mothers are partial. Both Mr. and Mrs. Kirkpatrick noticed it, and in one of Mrs. Kirkpatrick's letters, she said that poor Mr. Henderson was going into Switzerland for the long vacation, doubtless to try and forget Cynthia, but she really believed he would find it only dragging at each remove a lengthening chain. I thought it such a refined quotation, and altogether worded so prettily. You must know Aunt Kirkpatrick some day, Molly, my love. She is what I call a woman of a truly elegant mind." I can't help thinking it was pity that Cynthia did not tell them of her engagement. It is not an engagement, my dear. How often must I tell you that? But what am I to call it? I don't see why you need to call it anything. Indeed, I don't understand what you mean by it. You should always try to express yourself intelligibly. It really is one of the first principles of the English language. In fact, philosophers might ask what is language given us for at all, if it is not that we may make our meaning understood. But there is something between Cynthia and Roger. They are more to each other than I am to Osborne, for instance. What am I to call it? You should not couple your name with that of any unmarried young man. It is so difficult to teach you delicacy, child. 
perhaps one may say there is a peculiar relation between dear cynthia and roger but it is very difficult to characterize it i have no doubt that is the reason she shrinks from speaking about it for between ourselves molly i really sometimes think it will come to nothing he is so long away and privately speaking cynthia is not very very constant i once knew her very much taken before that little affair is quite gone by and she was very civil to mr henderson in her way i fancy she inherits it for when i was a girl i was beset by lovers and could never find in my heart to shake them off you have not heard dear papa say anything of the old squire or dear osborne have you it seems so long since we have heard or seen anything of osborne but he must be quite well i think or we should have heard of it i believe he is quite well some one said the other day that they had met him riding it was mrs goodenough now i remember and that he was looking stronger than he had done for years indeed i am truly glad to hear it i always was fond of osborne and you know i never really took to roger i respected him and all that of course but to compare him with mr henderson mr henderson is so handsome and well-bred and gets all his gloves from Ubigon. it was true that they had not seen anything of osborne hamley for a long time but as it often happens just after they had been speaking about him he appeared it was on the day following mr gibson's departure that mrs gibson received one of the notes not so common now as formerly from the family in town asking her to go over to the towers and find a book or a manuscript or something or other that lady cumnor wanted with all an invalid's impatience it was just the kind of employment she required for an amusement on a gloomy day and it put her into a good humour immediately there was a certain confidential importance about it and it was a variety and it gave her the pleasant drive in the fly up the noble avenue and the sense of being the temporary mistress of all the grand rooms once so familiar to her she asked molly to accompany her out of an access of kindness but was not at all sorry when molly excused herself and preferred stopping at home at eleven o'clock mrs gibson was off all in her sunday best to use the servant's expression which she herself would so have condemned well dressed in order to impose on the servants at the towers for there was no one else to see or be seen by i shall not be at home until the afternoon my dear but i hope you will not find it dull i don't think you will for you were something like me my love never less alone than when alone as one of the great authors has justly expressed it molly enjoyed the house to herself fully as much as mrs gibson would enjoy having the towers to herself she ventured on having her lunch brought upon a tray into the drawing-room so that she might eat her sandwiches while she went on with her book in the middle mr osborne hamley was announced he came in looking wretchedly ill in spite of the purblind mrs goodenough's report of his healthy appearance this call is not on you molly said he after the first greetings were over i was in hopes i might have found your father at home i thought lunch-time was the best hour he had sat down as if thoroughly glad of the rest and fallen into a languid stooping position as if it had become so natural to him that no sense of what was considered good manners sufficed to restrain him now i hope you did not want to see him professionally said molly wondering if she was wise in alluding to his health yet urged to it by her real anxiety yes i did i suppose i may help myself to a biscuit and a glass of wine no don't ring for more i could not eat it if it was here but i just want a mouthful this is quite enough thank you when will your father be back he was summoned up to london lady cumnor is worse i fancy there is some operation going on but i don't know he will be back to-morrow night very well then i must wait perhaps i shall be better by that time 
I think it's half fancy, but I should like your father to tell me so. He will laugh at me, I dare say. But I don't think I shall mind that. He's always severe on fanciful patience, isn't he, Molly? Molly thought that if he saw Osborne's looks just then, he would hardly think him fanciful, or be inclined to be severe. But she only said, Papa enjoys a joke at everything, you know. It is a relief after all the sorrow he sees. Very true. There is a great deal of sorrow in the world. I don't think it's a very happy place, after all. So Cynthia has gone to London, he added, after a pause. I think I should like to have seen her again. Poor old Roger. He loves her very dearly, Molly. He said. Molly hardly knew how to answer him in all this. She was so struck by the change in both voice and manner. Mamma has gone to the towers, she began, at length. Lady Cumnor wanted several things that Mamma only can find. She will be sorry to miss you. We were speaking of you only yesterday, and she said how long it was since we had seen you. I think I have grown careless. I have often felt so weary and ill that it was all I could do to keep up a brave face before my father. Why did you not come and see papa? said Molly. Or write to him? I cannot tell. I drifted on, sometimes better and sometimes worse, until to-day I mustered up pluck and came to hear what your father has got to tell me, and all for no use, it seems. I am very sorry, but it is only for two days. He shall go and see you as soon as ever he returns. You must not alarm my father, remember, Molly, said Osborne, lifting himself by the arms of his chair into an upright position and speaking eagerly for the moment. I wish to God Roger was at home, said he, falling back into the old posture. I can't help understanding you, said Molly. You think yourself very ill, but isn't it that you are tired just now? She was not sure if she ought to have understood what was passing in his mind, but as she did, she could not help speaking a true reply. Well, sometimes I do think I'm very ill, and then again I think it's only the moping life sets me fancying and exaggerating. He was silent for some time. Then, as if he had taken a sudden resolution, he spoke again. You see, there are others depending upon me, upon my health. You haven't forgotten what you heard that day in the library at home? No, I know you haven't. I've seen the thought of it in your eyes often since then. I didn't know you at the time. I think I do now. Don't go on talking so fast, said Molly. Rest. No one will interrupt us. I will go on with my sewing. When you want to say anything more, I shall be listening. For she was alarmed at the strange pallor that had come over his face. Thank you. After a time he roused himself, and began to speak very quietly, as if on an indifferent matter of fact. The name of my wife is Emay. Emay Hamley, of course. She lives at Bishopfield, a village near Winchester. Write it down, but keep it to yourself. She is a Frenchwoman, a Roman Catholic, and was a servant. She is a thoroughly good woman. I must not say how dear she is to me. I dare not. I meant once to have told Cynthia, but she did not seem quite to consider me as a brother. Perhaps she was shy of a new relation, but you'll give my love to her all the same. It is a relief to think that someone else has my secret, and you are like one of us, Molly. I can trust you almost as I can trust Roger. I feel better already, now I feel that someone else knows the whereabouts of my wife and child. Child? said Molly, surprised. But before he could reply, Maria had announced, "'Miss Phoebe Browning.' "'Fold up that paper,' said he quickly, putting something into her hands. "'It is only for yourself.'" End of chapter 45